Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be discussing the first-ever Valiant Comics adaptation, Bloodshot, the long-delayed, controversial Blumhouse movie, The Hunt, as well as the religious biopic, I Still Believe. Plus, a quick Netflix and chat about Disney's Robin Hood. Let's get started. Revenge is what makes a man like you exceptional. You know nothing about men like me. That is absolutely fantastic. I feel like I just heard this. Are they playing this on repeat? For those who grew up like me, knowing mainly the big two when it comes to comic books, uh, Marvel and DC, knowing that there's like all of these various other comic book companies out there, it's kind of mind-blowing, ultimately. Like... When you tell people Bloodshot is a comic book movie, they're like, really? I never heard of this. And it's like, yeah, it's from an independent comic book company called Valiant Comics. And then you have to, then you think about things like, um, uh, I think it's Icon, um, Image, you know, all the various Image Comics, all the various um, uh, IDW stuff that isn't uh, um, licensed stuff, uh, the old Dark Horse stuff, uh, the old. um, uh, what's, what is the imprint uh, over at DC? Um, begins the V. But yeah, like you think of all the various other comic book companies that are out there that can barely get a, their foot in the door because Marvel and DC still hold the um, still hold the reins, as it were, because they're the biggest and they also have corporate backing. And so to see them finally start to break through that is interesting. Uh Although we'll see uh, if uh, they manage to stick around long because, yeah, sadly, they picked the bad time to release the, their first ever Valiant uh, movie ad- movie adaptation. <laughs> Oof. But, yeah, um, this I never heard of the character. Uh, I will say that watching the movie did make me want to go check him out because uh, I'm going to admit this one didn't hook me in at first. It felt like it was straight out of the mid-aughts, like, it, you know, those old... Uh, like the Daredevil and Elektra adaptations or like everything um, besides Sony Spider-Man, Sam Raimi Spider-Man uh, before Batman Begins. But before Batman Begins, that era of superhero movies, the beginning feels a lot like that. And um, I I refer to it as hibachi editing. I don't know what else. It's quick cuts. This movie suffers a lot from quick cuts in some of the action sequences. But where this movie kicks in is the half. It's about the halfway point, or at least some sometime in the second act, when it's revealed that, and I, I kind of saw it coming. But basically, eventually, it's revealed to be in media res, where what we thought was the beginning of the movie is it was actually like to it was actually like way way beyond the actual beginning of this guy's story. So. Most of this movie is actually in media... Like, the movie is actually in media res, which is interesting. And um, I do think that while it is very CG-heavy, I do like the um, effects for Bloodshot. The sort of, like, the pixelation of his skin and whatnot. And all the blood... Instead of blood spatter being red, it's all, like, pixels... Because it's all robots. I, I think that's cool. I think the um, robotics by on all the other characters are actually really solid. Like, they put a lot of effort into making, in you know, solid, realistic-working 
robot, you know, robotic attachments that are, you know, they're probably not there, but they feel real. They look real. And I think that, you know, I think the effects team did a fantastic job. I just wish that they put more, they allowed the action to take place. And like, some of it does. A lot of, some of the action sequences, especially like the climactic one in the elevator shaft between blood, between Vin Diesel and the uh, two of the other guys is, is solid editing, solid action, uh, action, like choreography for the most part. It's not, you know, that some of it is bad, but a lot of it is fairly decent. I'll give it that. And it was interesting, and it and the effects are solid enough that it didn't that it didn't disappoint. Like I wasn't disappointed at all. Um, I think it also helps that the movie does not take itself too seriously. Like it starts super serious, and then once we hit the ground running on the actual plot of the movie, it you know it's willing to be a lot more uh, superfluous and be like yeah 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 super serious you guys, and it allows itself to have a lot more fun, which is good. It should. I don't think they want to. Do, I don't think Valiant wants to come out the gates trying to be the DCEU. They think they they have a better chance trying to be more like Fox was, and I do. I think the the real sort of like the biggest flaw with the movie I think is in casting Vin Diesel in so much that the character could probably use better a better act. Well, not a better actor because that's the thing. Vin Diesel is capable of really solid acting, but. He tends not to. He tends to just streamline, you know, trying to stay stay the course on just being the tough badass guy. And I think allowing himself to be more interesting and go more interesting places would help him stand out more. But he tends to stick to his normal tough guy action hero sort of uh, acting when I when we very clearly know he's a he's a major dork. And if he gave, if he allowed himself to be more dorky on screen, I think he he would ingratiate himself to be to more people. But um, I think he does fine enough. I think uh, there there could have been a better um, leading actor out there to play the role to give it more like weight. But I think he does does well enough. Um, and his supporting cast isn't terrible, although I don't recognize almost any of them from anything. The one dude looks like Greg Kinnear. But he's uh, some guy from Outlander, the the TV series about traveling back in time to Scotland, um, and yeah, it's, it's so yeah, it's it's not perfect. I'll give it that. But I'll say this: uh, I said this, and I think my um, my Stardust review as well that superhero movies are like my pizza. It's even the worst of it is still fairly decent. You know, it's still okay in my book. Like, hey, it's it's hard to screw up pizza, you know. So, um, yeah, this is, this is fun. I, I would love to see more Valiant adaptations and hopefully this can make its money back after we're, after the virus, um, and the pandemic dies down and like, uh, we can push it on DVD and streaming and something to get more people to check it out and, and, uh, and talk about, and, or maybe they, or maybe they'll give this one a mulligan and they'll try again when there isn't a pandemic going on. We'll see. But, um, yeah, if you... If you don't get the chance and you're and you make it through the and it makes it through the quarantine, definitely check out Bloodshot when you get the chance. It's I think it's at least worth one watch, especially if you're into superheroes like me. War is war. You have no idea what you're up against. This time, they picked the wrong woman. 
gonna rip you to pieces. We'll see. This is a wild game of survival. So if y'all heard of the Streisand effect, what it ties into is the fact that there's a there's a point in time where Barbara Streisand's house was shown on the internet and she did everything in her power to try and get it taken down. And in doing so, made people that much more driven to show her house on the internet. And so her, you know, effort to try and hide something only drove more people to seek it out. And so that's essentially what happened to this movie. This movie is a is a is benefiting from the Streisand effect as brought on by the Trump support Trump's base because this was pulled initially from its initial run due to the backlash by conservatives and especially at one point Trump even mentioned it, you know, thinking that they're seen, they're being mocked by uh, liberal Hollywoods. And yet when you watch and that if you none of these people actually watched the movie. And so I think the pro, I think what's what what you know, they, I think the thing is that they completely got that got used by Blumhouse to further market what is essentially a really lame adaptation of the most dangerous game. Because, yeah, this is based on the short story, The Most Dangerous Game. And we've seen it a couple times. Um, the Condemned was one done by WWE. They did one with um, Ice T way back in the day, where he had like dreadlocks uh, surviving the game. Um, so I mean, like this has seen some adaptations by Hollywood. There was one way back in the fifties. It was like a direct adaptation. And so I don't hate this idea—the idea that you're taking the premise of the most dangerous game. And adding on a layer of political satire on top of it. And there that could work. Unfortunately, Damon Lindelof is not as good as a writer as he thinks he is. Because all of that satire and, and commentary is wasted on some of the laziest, broadest stereotypes you could ever imagine. Like, everything about... From the liberal elitists, played by uh, Glenn Howerton and... Um, uh, at one point, Hillary Swank, despite being, being, you know, which is a sport, which would have been a, which would have been a great reveal if the if the marketing didn't already spoil that, because <laughs> she's hidden throughout most of the movie up until the ver up until the third act when she's finally revealed to be the mastermind of the whole thing, but the marketing already revealed that, so it's like, well, shoot, guys, why <laughs> you think having Hillary Swank in here will help you? I don't know. But um, you have the likes of Emma Roberts and Ike Barinholtz and, uh, you know, other uh, Ethan Suplee as these conservative caricatures. And then Betty Gilpin is like this unknown, like unknown badass who's going through the whole thing to just trying to survive. And she's got these weird, crazy tangents, like this one really messed up retelling of the tortoise and the hare. And like. None of it really makes any sense when they try to explain it. It's just, once again, it's a cool idea that is very poorly executed. And I think that says a lot, I think that's true of a lot of Damon Lindelof's stuff. Um, I don't know. I mean, Watchmen notwithstanding, and I haven't seen The Leftovers. Apparently, this is also tied into The Leftovers uh, behind the scenes. But um, 
I think Damon Lindelof is just not as clever as he thinks he is because a better writer would have really tapped into this divide and utilized it for some deeper commentary. But all um, Lindelof does is rely on broad stereotypes and cliches. And it's just ultimately kind of boring. Ultimately, it's a waste of a cool premise. Although I will say the... um, the end fight is probably the best part of the movie where uh, Betty Gilpin and Hilary Swank fight each other in a, in this really well-made kitchen and yeah, everything up, but none of as good as that fight is none, all of the stuff leading up to it is really just lazy and just ultimately a waste of your time. And I think it's what's disappointing the most is that it took this really interesting idea and premise built up this, all this controversy to sell a mediocre adaptation of the most dangerous game. And yeah, so yeah, if you're, if you are a Trump fan there, you probably will get more out of this because the liberal elites are the bigger assholes in this. And your, and your, and your guys are basically the heroes (laughs) for all intents and purposes. So yeah, it's ultimately just a skippable one. Like it's probably a good idea that this came out during the pandemic because there's no reason to really go see this movie. Just just skip it. It should have just gone straight to like streaming or something anyway. Forget it. I still believe. I still believe. I keep thinking. I still believe. If one person's life is changed by what I go through, I still believe. it will all be worth it. So we started with my pick of the week, Bloodshot. We ended. We had. We went on to a really disappointing, um, controversial movie, and then we're ending the new releases with my unpop kernel. And surprise, surprise! If you've been following me, the the Christian movie is my unpop kernel of the week. Yeah, I'll say this much. You know, as much as I always feel the need to preface that at, I, as an atheist, I don't have it against christian movies i don't i don't want to review your movies badly just start making better when you start making better movies i'll give them better ratings prince of egypt is still a five out of five for me because it's such a fantastically made movie that happens to have religious elements in it this is not that good this is a by the numbers biopic that basically is just a copy of a copy from with uh i can only imagine being a copy of a real music biopic and then this being a copy of that copy and being really just uh and like even if this is really what happened to the guy the way they told the story is so poorly done that i could not care we're dealing with a guy who lost his first wife to cancer and i did not care one second and i think that's a testament and once again I think what it comes down to is I'm not there. I don't watch movies to be emotionally manipulated. And if you're going to rely solely on uh, something like cancer to get me to feel sad, then I'm not going to feel sad because I don't care about the character who got the cancer. You know, when uh, like, um, you think of something like Philadelphia, which I still need to see, but we get to know Tom Hanks's character 
before he uh, starts to be, be suffer from the uh, effects of having AIDS. And so we care when he gets sick from AIDS because we knew his character before he got sick with the AIDS. Here, the the wife, the girlfriend is... Uh, she exists. Like, like the, the most I really got... The most I got from her is the fact that she was quote-unquote quote cheating by hooking up with the main character... Even though, like, it, it, God, God damn it. Like, there's, they beat around the bush so much about not getting in actual relationships that it's so hard to know if she was actually dating the guy or what. Because they act like they were actually dating, but we don't even know because, oh, Christian movie can't talk about them actually dating because what if the not God things? I don't know. It's... I think what really did me in with this movie was there's a point where um, the mentor character, who is the other guy in the love angle? The love, uh, I call it a love angle because most, because a love triangle implies that there's a shared uh, base there. So like you love her, she loves him and he loves her, you know? Uh, so like, you know, so like there's an actual triangle going on. So like, dit, 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 dit. You know, one to the one to the one to the other. And this is more like two guys pining after one girl. She's pining back, but they don't love each other. So that's not a true triangle. So this is more like just a love angle. Two people met at a vertex of one girl. So, yeah, I'm going to start referring to that from now on because it's not a true love triangle. Um, but that guy openly tells the main character that his songs are love songs to God. Which is straight up a plot from a South Park episode mocking Christian band. So, like, they're just openly admitting to the fact that they're full of it. So, like, the, the fact that he openly admits it, like, yeah, these are just love songs to God. So you take words like baby and darling and replace them with Jesus. They're doing literally what Cartman did mockingly. That's, and then you wonder why I can't take these kinds of things seriously. Um, and then the, the most of the movie is super boring. I, th I think that's just what it comes down to is their courtship is boring. The initial cancer scare is boring. And then the second cancer scare is boring. And I do not care. Like even when he gets sad, angry and destroys things, when both both of them both of them have a point where they get sad, angry, and destroy things, and it's so telegraphed and forced that I don't that I can't that I'm just like, uh, well, somebody's gonna have to clean that up. Thanks a lot. Somebody's gonna have to clean it up. Hold on, let me get a dust mop. So, yeah, it's just that and the fact that. I think what bothers me the most is this movie feels like complete emotional manipulation. Not just because of the cancer thing, but in the movie, the main character is telling his Christian audience to pray for his sick wife, at one point pointing her out in the middle of a crowd at one of his concerts, and then the movie ends with him talking, doing the same thing, emotionally manipulating his audience by talking about his dead wife and then tying it back to Jesus 
and that that's how he met his second wife who had his actual kids. Well, it just feels like a big F you, doesn't it? Your first wife got cancer, couldn't have kids, and then she died. So what are you going to do? Hook up with some chick at your concert, and then now it's all, now you can actually have kids. God works in mysterious ways. I know that's not what they intended to do, because they act, because they mentioned that he still loves that first wife of his. But I'm sorry, you can't help but, you can't deny that that, op, the optics of that. The optics are there. He emotionally manipulates a woman by making her feel, feel feel sorry about his dead cancer wife. And so he uses that to hook up with her. And now they're married with like three kids. So it's like, thanks, dead cancer wife. You got me laid. Uh, I think it also doesn't help that like a lot of Christian movies, they bring up the problem of evil, which is how can a just and loving God allow for such pain and suffering to exist? And Gary Sinise was completely wasted in his in the, in the role of this kid's dad just brushes it away just like nope nope just gonna just gonna ignore that god loves you but what about nope 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 get out of here get out of here grab a grab the broom shoot 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 get out of here problem of evil shoot shoot get out of here nobody wants you problem of evil go shoot yeah it's it this uh, yet i will say all of the exploitation, all of the bad filmmaking, all of all of the usual Christian movie issues, this did not bother me more than, you know, any more than the the uh, I can only imagine did. It's bad. It is not good filmmaking. It is not good acting. It is not good storytelling. And yet, I have seen worse. It is not as bad as the God's Not Dead movies. It is not as bad as the Dinesh D'Souza movies. It is nowhere near as bad as No Safe Spaces. So I'll give this movie this. By not being a pure flicks movie, by being something that Lionsgate has distributed, it is better than most Christploitation movies in that it is just boring and not offensive. So, yeah, this is this is my own pop kernel. It's one of the blandest movies I've seen this year, and um, yeah, unless you're unless you're seeing it with your church group, I can't say you really need to go out and see it at all. So, make it that what you will. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. There's going to be a lot more of this uh, as long as I can actually get into watching other streaming services because my go-to ultimately is to just turn on YouTube and re-watch old videos. So I'm not... Because I get... Because my problem with streaming is... Anytime there's something I want to stream, I'm con- my immediate thought is, well, I, if I'm streaming, I got to pay attention to it, so I got to do it for the podcast. So I got to pay close attention to it. I can't be doing anything else. And so uh, when I want just mindless and, and something mindless, then I'll just go to YouTube and I'll skip over streaming and I won't watch and I won't have anything for Netflix and chat because I'm more concerned with just having something on in the background rather than taking the time to actually watch the things that are coming out. So I'm so far behind on stuff. And um, 
One of the things I wanted to finally sit back and watch, uh, I wanted to do it last week, but I didn't get the time. Uh, and that was Disney's Robin Hood. And every so often I'm reminded of this movie and not because, not because of the furry stuff. That's mainly, that's most people's attraction to it. My big thing with Robin Hood is despite the reused assets and recycled animation, despite all of the limitations they had, this is an actually a really damn good Disney movie. Like if, if it weren't for those limitations that, that they had, this could have been a fantastic top tier Disney movie. Like the cast they had, the the you know the 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 writing, everything about this, this movie. Every time I think about it, makes me want to do a breakdown of all of the Disney villains and what how effective they are. There, like I could do one of those tier list videos about Disney villains and their effectivity and their effectiveness uh, versus them being a comedic uh, villain. So like, um, comedic villains are more like. Um, are, are, are the ones that are ineffectual to the plot and the heroes just go about their business. And if the villains did their thing, then get the villains, if they weren't for the heroes, the villains wouldn't have done anything. I'm trying to think of a good um, example of that. Uh, I, I, nothing's coming to mind off the top of my head, but the ones that are more there for comedic effect than for actual villainy. And the funny thing about... Um, Oh, uh, Edgar from Aristocat, same era. Uh, he's 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 more comedic than actually villainous. Now, the villains in Robin Hood, aside from Sir Hiss, are all deathly effective for the most part. And if it were not for the intervention of the heroes, would have been wholly destructive to the rest of the cast. Like... The intervention it took the intervention of Robin Hood and Little John to prevent the overtaxation and then the um, incarceration and eventually they prevented an unjust um, execution. So if it were not for Little John and Robin Hood, uh, the sheriff and Prince John would have gotten away with. All, would have gotten away with so much, so many atrocities, and you never really think about it because it's like Peter Ustinov doing the aha, aha, oh, mommy, and you think like he's a comedic. You think Prince John is a comedic villain, but then you watch the movie. He clearly knows uh, Robin Hood in the archery contest. Uh, after after the you know he gets duped the first time we meet him, he then recognizes Robin Hood immediately in the archery contest. He then, upon getting um, the best of him, overly taxes the people of Nottingham. And it takes and is willing to execute a, a friar in the Catholic Church over his, his bloodlust for Robin Hood. And, he, and so, even though Robin Hood gets the best of him... Prince John is a very deadly villain, and Sher and the sheriff is one of the most as one of the even though he's you know hey he's oh god I can't do the voice he's also does um he does so many he was he, he's Pat Butch he's Pat Butchum he's kind of a, he's kind of the the hillbilly voice that you used to think if you remember 
If you remember Aaron, uh, Aaron's hillbilly voice in on over on Game Grumps, he's kind of like what Pat Buttram does. Pat Buttram's kind of the progenitor of what we think of when we think of hillbilly voices. <coughs> I'm not doing it justice, obviously, but you know the sheriff of Nottingham, um, uh, chief from Fox and the Hound. Uh, whole bunch. I think he. I think he actually was on the Beverly Hillbillies. Or is he? It was either. No, he was on um, Green Acres back in the day. So if you think like if you watch so many, if he was all over voice acting stuff, he was because he had that comedic voice. I do, I do, do. Soon to be known as John the Worst. Now see he. Now see here, every little bit helps. And it's like, he's so deliciously evil as the sheriff. And it's like, you think Pat Buttram's doing, Pat Buttram's doing the voice, so he's not meant to be taken seriously. But he, but he's will, you know, but once again, he is, he's able to take on all, it's, uh, it takes the intervention of Robin Hood to, keep him from abusing the people of Nottingham. It's because, like, if without Robin Hood's intervention, he takes from the church, takes straight from little kids. He steals, he steals money from little kids. This guy is villainous to a T. And you don't think about it because oh, he does the silly, you think because of the silly voices and the mannerisms that he's a comedic villain. But he's not. He's so... He, he, they are really competent, evil villains. And you don't even think about that because of the mannerisms. And it's, yeah, it's really, I really love it. Like, this is one, if Disney had the balls, if Disney had the balls, do a live-action remake with realistic CG animals as the, as the cast. Like, have the stand-in stunt cast but make it all CG animals as as the cast. So it's still the furry stuff, but it's but it's the C, but it's uh but it's all like yo, but it's all done in live action. And uh, like that would be something. That would be interesting. Disney hit me up cuz I am down for this remake. Uh but yeah, it's I think uh the biggest aside from that, the biggest issue is Married Marion is still kind of treated as the damsel in distress, and having recently um, seen Overly Sarcastic's production's video on Robin Hood, knowing that there are a bunch of stories about how Maid Marion was just as badass as Robin Hood and was actually out there fighting him hand-to-hand -hand in combat, that, like, she is still relegated to the, Oh, Robin Hood, oh, let's sigh. When will my hero come and rescue me? Like, she's not as bad as that in this, but it there is still that element to it. I feel like Maid Marian should be much more proactive. And I think a, a good fix in the remake would make her more proactive. Like, make her trick Prince John or uh, the sheriff to think she's Robin Hood, and then the real Robin Hood gets away or something like that. And then she's held prisoner because of, because of her treachery. Something like that. I don't know. But yeah, Friar Tuck is also really awesome. I love his his fight with the sheriff when he when he takes from the poor box. It, it really I feel like Friar Tuck um, never really gets the love he deserves. And I think I'm being introduced to Friar Tuck 
as uh from this movie as a tough as as somebody who's a lot more active in the story and uh kind of a badass it, it feels that like not everything that isn't this kind of is a letdown so yeah uh disney's robin hood it it holds up fairly well and i think the biggest issue is it's the budget budgetary limitations and that if you're a disney fan you will recognize so many of the recycled assets especially from like arrest of cats and jungle book and uh if they did a remake of that if they did a remake of this and made a little bit more serious but kept a lot of the same sort of silliness about it then i think they would do a, i think they would have a fantastic uh uh movie on their hands so yeah disney if you have the balls or the or the ovaries or the whatevers the genetical reproductive sacks for it then make th remake this movie in live action let's see you do that new guy don't remember who took over from bob Iger. at any rate uh we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're actually going to bring back the discussion portion as uh, asked for or uh, suggested by you listeners. Into every generation, a slayer is born. One girl in all the world. A chosen one. And alongside her are the Watchers. We are the Watchers. Once more with Feeling is a 20th anniversary Buffy fancast where we gather and watch episodes of Buffy, discuss them, and release it every Tuesday. Grr. Arg. question over on twitter since facebook didn't want to let me make a poll to ask if i should do a new series uh for for corn talks to do a separate discussion thing and keep this strictly as a review show and only a couple people took part but they all overwhelmingly agreed to just re bring back to the discussion portion to the episode itself and make it part of the episode and not its own separate thing so and bringing back to the discussion portion, the only thing that we can talk about is COVID-19, the coronavirus pandemic. Now, this is this goes well beyond film and and movies, but in terms of filmmaking, this is doing a massive number on the industry. Uh, for those who, uh, I mean, I'm sure most of you are aware, but going, but for those who don't know kind of like the timeline. The initial outbreak occurred in early December in the Wuhan province in China. I believe I'm pronouncing that. I think it's Wuhan. Wuhan. I know Chinese is very uh, phonetically based. So one mispronunciation I could be talking about somewhere entirely different. But uh, the Wuhan province in China um, saw the initial cases. And then over the course of 2020 through, um, tra through people's travels, it, the virus then spread throughout Europe and then across Asia and eventually made its way to America. And so starting in March worldwide, we're starting to see massive cancellations of sporting events, of music festivals, of uh, several American primary elections have been postponed. 
for months. And and in China, most of that started in January. Because as it spread throughout China, massive delays and cancellations were taking place within China and its own film industry. Because if you look through um, the timeline, the first parts of the film industry that were hit were Chinese films. Chinese films were being delayed indefinitely as theaters across China were being shut down, like completely shut down. Nobody's allowed to go to the theaters anymore in some areas. I don't know if it's true where, I don't know how true it is across China, but there are massive theater closures across China. I don't know if it's fully, fully nationwide, but it is, but it is, you know, the majority of theaters in China, if nothing else. And so the first movies to be hit were Chinese productions and they were delayed either indefinitely or canceled or delayed until hopefully the end of the year. But it's, we're seeing massive delays on that end. And uh, just from China alone, we're seeing a $2 billion loss in the box office. And as time went on and the cases spread worldwide, we're, seeing, we're now seeing delays in America. So far, the movies delayed listed have been Peter Rabbit 2, which has been moved to August, uh, A Quiet Place 2, which has been taken off the calendar, Antlers and New Mutants being released through, uh, I believe, either Searchlight or, 20, or 20th Century Productions have been taken off the calendars for now. Mulan was taken off the calendars, I believe. Uh, Trolls 2 was moved uh, until later in April. But there's word, but a lot of people are saying that they should either move it into the summer or the fall or even just take it off the calendar for now because they could operate at a loss. Fast and Furious 9 was moved until April of next year. Lovebirds was taken off the calendar. Uh, My Spy was moved another month. The one with uh, Dave Bautista, that was moved from March to April. And then The Secret Garden was slated for... Um, was slated for like an, an April release and got moved to August as well. So America, and of course, across, then of course you see, and then of course, um, Bloodshot and, uh, um, what are the other ones that came out recently? Um, over, oh, Onward and a bunch of the other big releases that already came out in the States are not seeing worldwide releases because of the delays in specifically China. So what it comes down to is, uh, movie, the movie industry, and of course, on top of that, you see productions themselves have to stop. Uh, the, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier had to halt production. Um, I think one of the other upcoming Marvel movies had to halt production. A bunch of other massive blockbuster releases are halting production. And of course, not only just movie really movie productions, film and uh, small uh, independent film and television productions are being halted across the board. Survivor had to halt production uh, due to the outbreak, and yeah, it's it product. We're going to see a massive delay in releases for the upcoming year for the next for probably the next year. So this is affecting film releases well into the twenty twenty one even, and. I guess the question is ultimately, should you see movies during an outbreak? Because not for the sake of the studios. The studios can take the hits. They're fine. They're billion. The only studios that can't take the hits are the independent ones. 
everything that's owned by Comcast and Disney and um, you know AT and T and all those they they can take the hits. They can take the hits from the stu- from the movies not being released on time and low box office turnout. They're fine. The concern is the service industry people because especially in the United States, the service industry people are not being given paid leave. They're being forced to still come into work in the in, over the over the course of the over the course of the pandemic. And even though um I know here in Ohio, Governor DeWine is considering a full restaurant and bar closure until for, for, for at least a month until the pandemic dies down, then that could also affect theaters. But what that means is that if those places close, those people are not protected. So the problem is, do you go to see films or attend restaurants or anything like that just to keep supporting the service industry people? And I think that's the sad question that we're at here in America. Not to get too political on you, but the fact that service industry people are still dependent on your service, even in a pandemic, says a lot about the companies unwilling to cover them. And that's one thing that an independently owned bar and grill can't cover its employees during the course of a pandemic. They're they're the ones that they're not the ones I'm talking about. I'm talking about the people working at Cinemark and Regal Theaters, Regal Cinemas. Like, should you go to see films films when those people are still forced to go work? And I think ultimately the answer is no. Like, and in some places the answer is literally no. Like, you cannot leave your house. You're under strict quarantine. You don't need to leave your house. You shouldn't be leaving your house until. That until unless it's like a, an absolute emergency, and I think the fact that it's up for debate here in America is part of the problem and why the disease is so rampant because most other places are willing to cover those losses, but for some reason in America we don't want to, and so we're expected to keep consuming even in the midst of a pandemic. And I think that's the ultimate issue is that we shouldn't have to. Be concerned about the lives of the clerks and the ushers and the, you know, the, you know, the the people working at the theaters and the restaurant industry just to make a living and stay afloat just because their company won't let them close in the midst of a pandemic. Because that's the other thing, too, is that even though theaters are sparse because people aren't are them are themselves just staying home. There's really not a reason for you to rush out and see movies, especially if you're feeling sick or worried that you may be carrying. Because for all you know, you may be a carrier of the virus. And I think ultimately the problem is that movies are going to take a hit. And uh, Corey over Double Toasted was talking about how all these delays are messing with his... And um, Now Playing Podcast also brought this up, how... Their schedules have been completely thrown asunder by the delays. So seeing movies in the theaters is not the priority at this point. Nor should it be. The ultimate priority should be preventing the spread of the disease. And and ultimately, that just means staying home. So I'll still be going out and seeing the new releases if there are any out. Even if it's just like one new release in theaters... 
I'll still check it out. But you at home, just stay home, watch stuff on streaming. There's enough content there to satisfy you. You don't need to try and rush out to theaters. If there's something in theaters that you really want to see, you can wait. And I think that's ultimately the issue is that capitalism waits for nobody and they have to have their uh, results immediately. And that's ultimately the biggest... And that's why you're seeing so much distress, especially in like the markets of like, oh no, we can't handle people not consuming. And I think that's ultimately... They're, you know, the problem with the system, not you. Your concern shouldn't be to keep consuming to make the make the shareholders happy. Your concern should be, are you and your family safe? That's your biggest thing. So, yeah. Uh, the big studios are going to be fine. Uh, the smaller releases and the, and the festi- people that uh, relied on the festivals like South by Southwest to get their movie seen, they've been completely screwed for this year. And it's sad to say, but it's ultimately, it, it, that's ultimately what it comes down to is that people's, lively, people's safety is the biggest concern. So while the industry is still reeling from the pandemic and people are out of work in a lot of places because uh, productions are getting shut down, we'll, we should be able to come back from this. And um, what it comes down to is uh, support 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 these people where you can think about all the people all the other all the jobs that are being affected beyond you know the executives people beyond the executives and the actors and the directors think about the grips and uh the lighting and the editors and the develop and you know all the people who render cg the people in the effects bay the people all the people whose jobs depended on productions be now being out of work for the time being Think, you know, think about them and help them where you can. And um, just know that um, this thing will blow over. And as long as we do our best to keep it from spreading, we should be good. So stay indoors, uh, wash your hands, and uh, we'll get through this together. Uh, that about does it for the discussion. Feels good to bring that back. So... Uh, now, with that seriousness out of the way, let's move right on to the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. All right. Uh, according to most records, this is actually the lowest box office uh, in terms of overall gross in the entire history of the box office since they started recording the numbers in the 1980s. So... That should yeah. This pandemic is doing a major number on box office on the box office, but the studio once again the studios can take a hit. Most of the big stuff is from a lot of the big names people: Sony Pictures, Warner Brothers, Paramount, Universal, Lionsgate, Disney. They can take the hit. They're fine. And a bunch of the stuff is actually still just carryovers. Things like Jumanji and Birds of Prey in 1917. So. It's all the new stuff that's all the big problem. So, like, number 10 this week is uh, Bad Boys for Life, which dropped down from number 7. Dropping out of the top 10, we have uh, Impractical Jokers, which is down at number um, 13. We lost Birds of Prey, which is down at 11. And then, um, what was last week's number 10? What was last week's number 10? 
9, 11, 12, 13. Okay, hold on. I got to go back. Marty, we got to go back. Come on. Uh, My Hero Academia. Where did that drop down to? Oh, it's not in theaters anymore. Okay, that's why. So yeah, My Hero Academia finally dropped out of theaters after its two-week run. All right, so uh, yeah, Bad Boys for Life brought in $1.1 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross to $204 million. Worldwide, up to $417 million. Good for them. Uh, number nine, dropping down from number six, is Emma, which brought in $1.3 million, bringing its domestic gross up to $10 million, and its worldwide gross up to $25 million. So ultimately, the pro- uh, they don't really list a production budget, but I'm guessing it's about, I would say it wouldn't be much more than that. I would doubt it would be up up on the upwards of $40 million, but who knows. So hopefully this can make back some more money when it comes to streaming. Uh, at number eight, dropping down for number five, is The Call of the Wild, bringing in $2.2 million. Bringing its uh, domestic box office to $62 million, and it's worldwide up to $107 million. That would have been nice if it got $170. Nope, still cr- crawling its way to the production budget. Still just trying to make that back. Still not doing too good. Uh, next up, at number seven, dropping down from number three, is The Way Back, which brought in $2.4 million, bringing its domestic gross up to $13 million, and its overall worldwide gross up to $14 million, and it had a production budget of about $21 to $25 million. So yeah, it's not doing too hot either. People are just not interested in seeing Ben Affleck coach basketball. Uh... Coming in at number six, dropping down from number four is Cernic the Hedgehog, bringing in $2.5 million this weekend, bringing its domestic growth up to 145 and its worldwide growth up to $306 million. It's managed to get in and out real quick before the virus really took hold. So good for Cernic. Uh, hopefully the next movie is better. Premiering at number five is The Hunt, which brought in $5.3 million. And uh, with a little extra from the international box office, opened at a $6 million uh weekend which is one third of its total production budget most blumhouse movies are about are less than 10 million dollars this cost 18 million dollars to make and it barely made back half of that so yeah we'll see if it can manage to make any 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 bit of its budget back after this but i i I honestly doubt this will stick around much much longer uh coming in at number four dropping down from number two is the invisible man brought in six million this weekend bringing its production uh, domestic box office to $64 million and its worldwide gross up to $122 million. This also got hit by delays internationally, but it costs so little to make that it's doing just fine. So it can premiere in those other uh, box offices uh, long, uh, long down the line and just keep raking in that money. Uh, premiering at number three is Bloodshot, brought in $9.3 million, bringing us domestic gross which is and uh combined with the international box office opened at 24 million dollars and it cost 25 uh uh cost 45 million to make so it barely made back half its budget opening weekend it's hard to say how much better it would have done without the pandemic but hopefully it can uh make some of that back in once the pandemic dies down because once again, I think that's a very un- it's going to be a very underrated superhero movie, and I hope Sony sticks with Valiant for a bit and tries again down the line once all this is blown over. Premiering at number two is I Still Believe with $9.5 million. And uh, it cost 
12 million dollars to make so just barely made back its budget opening weekend we'll see if it sticks around uh barely overshot bloodshot so more people went to see jeebus than vin diesel so whatever staying at number one for the second week in a row is onward with 10.5 million dollars bringing its domestic gross up to 60 million and its worldwide gross up to 101.6 million dollars on a 100 to 200 million dollar budget so if it's on the cheaper end it just make back its budget if it's on the more expensive end it barely made back half so this is going to be one of the biggest losses for disney pixar and hopefully once the pandemic dies down it can make some of that back but we'll see so that was this weekend's box office and we take a look at what's coming up next weekend um well shoot i've got nothing listed like, all I've got listed on the numbers is, uh, let's see, March 20th, I've got a bunch of limited releases. 27th, a bunch of limited releases. Huh. Ladies and gentlemen, I may be staying home for the next two weekends. The next wide release listed on the numbers is St. Maud and Trolls 2 on April 10th. I may be staying home for the next couple of weekends. Let me see something. Let me go to IMDb. What do they have listed on the release schedule for next week? Coming soon. March 20th. Yeah, IMDb hasn't updated the taking down of Mulan on the movement of St. Maud. So, ladies and gentlemen... If I'm not mistaken, I may be staying home for the next couple of weekends. So, so this will be interesting. I've got time to catch up on streaming. So, <laughs> wow. Interesting. This is going to be quite an interesting couple of weeks. Uh, and uh, during the next couple... So, I'll also be digging back through my discussion topics. I've been wanting to talk about things like the uh, issues with Sonic's uh, crunch uh, redesign... And the closure of FX Studios and how they how they're mistreated by the system. Um, I've been wanting to talk about a bunch of stuff. Uh, Disney, uh, D the D Disney live action remakes again. Uh, I've been wanted to talk about uh, onwards misrepresentation. You know Disney's whole rainbow capitalism. How they'll be how they'll be how they'll try and claim um, you know queer representation, queer and gay representation but not really uh, commit to it. Um, oh, wait, is that... Hold on. Well, there, I think there's a problem. Hold on. Uh, why is it saying I'm near Ashburn? Hold on. 443. Let me go... Let me fix that. Let me see it. Yep. Okay, no, same thing. So yeah, uh, I may not be seeing any new releases next week. So I'll keep you up. I'll keep you posted. But uh, yeah, I may just be staying home and doing. I'll, I'll try to do some munch alongs over on Twitter. So yeah, uh, but yeah, I want to try and do some more discussions. I'll lay them out and have them planned for next for the next couple of weeks. So uh, that that buzz out does it for this week's episode, which means it is time for the plugs. 
If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. And if you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. While you're there, be sure to check out all of our other fine programming, such as Living in the Stacks, which will see its new episode coming out either this week or next week. Uh, you can also check out our new show, Dungeons & Dragon Types, which is me DMing an actual play D&D 5th Edition podcast with Pokemon. We're, we're about six, ep- six or seven episodes in. And uh, it's all a fan-made region. Be sure to check that out. You can also check out all of Donna's stuff, like uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, Once More with Feeling, uh, The Family Business, The Snarkast. And if you yourself are a podcaster and would love to join our fledgling little network, send any emails and inquiries to gumbycatnetworks at gmail.com and we'll get back to you. Uh, If you're listening to us on the go, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, uh, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartMedia, and if you want to help out the show, you can leave a five-star rating review, let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. You can also uh, f- find us on social media, facebook.com slash popcornjunkie, uh, p- uh, Twitter at cornjunkiepod, Instagram, popcornjunkiepodcast, not as active on there, letterboxed at cornjunkiepod, uh, stardust, I'm all caught up, that's uh, popcornjunkie, and... Um, yeah, and then there's, you can also support the show on Patreon. If you want to help out the show, you can do so by leaving a leaving as little as $1 a month donation over on patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. Times are tough. You don't have to do it right now. But if once things start kicking back up again and you got some spare change, you can want to toss you know, toss a coin to your reviewer. Oh, Valley of Plenty. Oh, Val- That's one I need to watch this week is The Witcher. Um, so yeah, toss a coin to your reviewer uh, if you get the chance over on patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. You have 10 episodes of uh, once, uh, Make a Better Movie and Munch Along. And if you want those to come back as well as suggest your own movies for me to review, you can do so over at patreon.com slash popcornjunkie. And if there's anything else you want to say, any kind of feedback you want to give, any kind of thought, if you have your own thoughts to share on the review on the movies I reviewed, you could do so at uh uh, sending me an email at popcornjunkiepodcast at gmail.com. If you want me to read it out on the air, on the mic, I can you just le- say in either the message or the subject. Otherwise, I'll just simply paraphrase. That does it for this week's episode. Until next time, I'm John Bailey. Wash your hands, stay safe, and we'll see you at the movies when there's new movies to see. theme song for popcorn junkie is funky popcorn by the m look up funky popcorn by the letter m on soundcloud for more of their music artwork provided by nafio n-a-f-y-o look up nafio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork <laughs>